You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Well, we are continuing in Jonah this morning. If you are new or haven't been able to be here for this series, uh, we will continue and we're at the end of chapter one this morning. Uh, Would you mind standing if you're willing and able while we read our passages this morning? uh, Verses 11 through 17. And feel free to read along with me. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, and they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights." Amen. You may be seated. One quick comment. Gina is 100% right. My wife's influence through me uh, is, is on display everywhere I go and whatever I do. It's her prayer, her encouragement that helps me be far more <laughs> who I am than any part I have to do with it for sure. So... Thank you, honey. Well, to review last week, last week the sailors asked Jonah a series of identity questions, if you remember. What was his business, his mission, who his people was, where did he come from? In other words, our title last week was, Whose Are You? Because who you are equals whose you are. And they ended up casting lots. And once the lots were cast, it pointed the finger blame squarely at Jonah. God used the casting of lots to let them know that, hey, the guy that they're hauling to Tarshish in the bottom of the ship is the reason why they have this amazing, violent, horrible storm hurled against them by God. And then Jonah's answer gives us a glimpse into his heart. His heart that we saw at the beginning of the book in verse 1 where God asked him to go to Nineveh, preach against it, and he got up and went the other way. Not only did he not do it, he tried to go as far away from where God wanted him to go as possible, trying to run from God's presence. And when Jonah answered, it was more about who he was than whose he was. He answered first with, I'm a Hebrew. That would have been like if we were exactly in Jonah's shoes, 
which it's hard to imagine that, but try to, if you will, if you're in that situation where there's this horrible storm or this horrible situation going on and it's happening because of your disobedience and there are other people pulled into this and suffering from it because of you and somebody said, what's your mission? What's your business? What's going on here? Where are you from? And we said, well, it's because I'm an American. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> and that's basically what Jonah says. Is his ethnicity, his nationalism, was far more important to him than who he belonged to and who he worshipped. Well, this week the sellers ask another question. Now that they know that Jonah is the one to blame for the storm that they're in, Scripture tells us, as we just read, that the storm was growing more and more violent, more and more turbulent. And the original Hebrew wording here is that that word means violently shaken. Violently shaken. If you have been in an earthquake of any kind of substantial measure, you know what violently shaking means. If you have been electrocuted with something more than 110, right Dan? You know what violently shaken means. I also, like Dan, have been electrocuted with more than 110. And it does violently shake you, okay? It feels like you have no buffer between your joints and all your bones rattle is what it feels like, okay? So now that you know, you don't have to try it, all right? We've already done it for you. Or maybe if you've been in a tornado, maybe you felt violent shaking. This was a storm that was certain to claim their lives if something was not done and done quickly. And so this morning, we're going to continue to see how similar lives line up with Jonah's, and more importantly, how God the Father, through Jesus Christ, and His unexplainable, invaluable, turbulent mercy, provides the answer to our sin and brokenness in the storms of life. Verse 11, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? The sailors are trying their very last hope by asking this question. They'd already, already cried out to their gods that we've seen in previous verses. Didn't work. They'd already tried dumping the cargo, their livelihood, their income, possibly their reputations, forcing them to have to find a new career, possibly. Because that was their business, right? Shipping cargo, and here they're throwing it overboard in the storm. That didn't work. They'd already tried waking up the stranger who was asleep in the bottom of the ship, telling him to pray. Nothing. So they cast lots, found out it was Jonah, and he wasn't even willing to give them an answer until the lots pointed him out. And then when he finally does, he's trying to tell, he tells them that he's running from the presence of God, the very God who made the sea that they are traveling on. Think about that for a second. I know God made the sea. So I'm going to travel by sea and try to run from his presence. Jonah was not at his smartest at this point, right? Personally, if I'm one of the sailors, I would have been fighting the temptation to just toss him for being a moron, okay? Really? You say your God that you worship. We worship our gods, and we're not claiming that any of our gods made the sea. But you say that your God made the sea... And you're at fault for this storm, and you're trying to run from him on the sea he made. These people who believe in God aren't very smart. It's, I mean, that's what, that's what I would be thinking. 
And yet, if we're honest about it, we all do the same thing. We do the very same thing. See, when things aren't going according to our plans or how we think they should, whether it has to do with a loved one, a job, our financial situation, our health, you can fill in the blank that applies here. What is it we turn to? We turn to a shadow of our Creator, something that He created instead of to our Creator. We look for things to appease us in the midst of our trials, the trials that sometimes are our very own fault because of our disobedience and our sin. And we turn to other things thinking that that's going to solve it for us. We turn to alcohol. God made it. All right? There's wine in the Bible, right? But we'll turn to that. Well, we'll turn to entertainment. God gave us the creativity to come up with music and movies, and some of them we should not turn to, period. Some are not bad at all. And yet we turn to these things sometimes. Social media can be a great tool for knowing how people far away are doing and keeping up with people and even sharing the gospel and making needs known. But we can turn to it as an escape. Shopping, hunting, hobbies, the list goes on and on. When we are in a storm, either because of our own doing or that God has ordained for our growth and benefit, our sanctification, and we choose something other than Christ for that relief, we are, that thing that we are choosing is an idol and we're putting it in front of our Creator and putting it in place of Him, a shadow of Him. We are just as futile as Jonah, attempting to run from God's presence by sea on the very sea that he created. We need to reject the futility of idols when in a storm and instead embrace Christ. We need to reject the futility of idols when in a storm and instead embrace Christ. Moving on to verse 12, Jonah answers then, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Yeah, sure. Get her done. <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> he said so. Let's do it. <laughs> you know you're thinking that if you're a sailor, right? That's what I'm thinking. Except that God had already gotten the sailor's attention. He already was working on their hearts. And then as we will continue to see, as we've looked at in weeks past, the sailors' actions are far more nobler than Jonah's. Far more nobler than what mine probably would have been. And we're going to go deeper into their response here in our passage this morning. But again, let's, let's look once again at Jonah's response. Let's go a little deeper into that. Part of it, his answer, is positive, and part of it, not so much. The positive part is this. Jonah is finally beginning to shift his focus away from himself. Up to this point in the entire book, all we see Jonah doing and saying and answering is this focus on himself and who he is. 
And it seems that he is finally coming to grips with the fact that the sailors are also in the crosshairs of God's wrath because of his sin, because of his doing. And see, I believe that God used the example of the sailors and how they responded to this completely unfair situation to them, Jonah's sin causing the storm. They weren't perfect by any means. They were following other gods. They were sinners. They, God had the right to judge them and punish them for their sin, absolutely. But this storm is specifically for Jonah, and so they're in this situation because of Jonah. And God's using their example to break through the wall of self-righteous pride in Jonah's heart. The shifting of focus off of ourselves is the first steps towards our repentance. Our repentance to God, our repentance to others that maybe we've offended. You see, the sailors were not only concerned with themselves. Yeah, they were doing things to save themselves, but then they were also concerned with Jonah's. When we have an inward focus, a selfward focus, our sin affects far more than just ourselves. Did you guys realize that? When we sin, it affects far more than just yourself. There's this thing called a ripple effect, and I don't know if you have heard this phrase before, this terminology, but this is a a situation where if you throw a pebble into a pond, there are ripples that go out, right? And not just one. They grow and it expands to the edges of the pond. And there is a ripple effect when we sin. Even if we think we're only doing it in our own heart, we are breaking our communion with God. It can affect the intimacy with our spouse, with our children, with our friends, with our parents. It can affect intimacy with our future spouse, with future relationships. When we sin, there is a cosmic ripple effect that affects far more than just us. Just like Jonah's sin here. Talk about a monster ripple effect with the storm going on and how it's affecting the sailors and other people probably on the coast, other ships on the sea. But when we shift our focus upward and outward, the world ceases to revolve around us. We can finally begin to see Christ and his redemptive mercy and others that he created, loves, and died for. When you're only looking at yourself, you, you fail to notice what's going on in the lives around you. You fail to notice God's gentle leading, his gentle voice, the, the still wind that passed by the cave for Elijah. We've got to shift our focus, and we can't do it on our own. We need his help to do that. We must shift our focus to Christ by focusing on him. Focusing on Christ is us choosing to be intentional in our relationship with him, choosing to study his word so that we might know him better, choosing to pray to him so that we might understand his will and our hearts might line up with his and come into agreement and alignment with his. It's a, it's a tuning of our hearts as the song goes to line up, to be in tune with his. 
the bad part of Jonah's answer is that he is still unrepentant. You're like, well, it kind of sounds noble. He said, hey, you know, throw me overboard. Jonah had no idea a fish was coming, y'all. He had no idea. And it's really easy to read the story and just go, oh, yeah, blah, 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 this happened. And, and, and you forget the details. You just skim over them. Jonah had no idea. Jonah's like having a pity party almost. Throw me in the sea. He would rather die than repent. He would rather die than repent. Instead of praying and asking God to forgive him, asking for God's mercy, asking God to spare the lives of the sailors and calm the sea, he said, just throw me overboard. And this can be confirmed, not just my speculation, but in the original language, in the original wording, his, his answer here is not one that is of repentance. See, he still has a trust problem, like we looked at at week one in our series. Nevertheless, in verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. The intensity of the sea was increasing. It was even more turbulent and violently shaking. And as if it was against them, raging against their efforts to row. The sailors exhibiting great mercy to Jonah had to try one more thing as opposed to just tossing him overboard. But through turbulent mercy, God caused the storm to increase so they couldn't. Here's why I call it turbulent mercy. Verse 14, so they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see, this turbulent storm, because of God's turbulent mercy, shifted the sailors' focus from their selves. And it began by looking out at Jonah to the point of where they're now looking up at God. God used a storm he sent to punish Jonah and to get Jonah's attention to now save these pagan sailors. God's economy is upside down. I love this part of the story, how Jonah was running from evangelism and missions. God said go. Jonah said no and went the other way. So he throws a storm at him onto the sea. And now God saves sailors on the boat that Jonah's on to try to run from God and doing his will. God doesn't need us. He's going to accomplish our will, but will we rather be the moron in the bottom of the boat asleep, having pity parties and thinking about our nationalism and all of these other, our, who your status are as a business person or a parent or a, whatever you are. 
Or would it rather be about whose you are and get to be the person up on the above deck sharing the gospel and seeing that which was lost become found in the hearts and lives of these sailors. You see, God had a big picture in mind. God had the sailors' eternal salvation in mind as he thwarted their attempts to temporarily save themselves. Has anybody tried to save themselves around here? I'm sure we all have. We dig deep enough. One form or fashion. And we fail. We fail every time. And so God will thwart us in His turbulent mercy so that He truly can save us. You see, here's where I believe the sailors put their faith and trust in God. And I'll flesh that out here in a second. But I love this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 9. A person's heart plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. We'll plan out our life and we'll do things and and yet God will determine our steps. He'll determine the meaning and the value and the purpose of what we actually attempted to do. And that's what the case is with Jonah. Jonah planned out his trip to Tarshish, planned that he was not going to go preach to Nineveh and ask them to repent because he had a problem with their terrorism and the things that they'd done to his country in the past and valid reasons, I'm sure, but not God's plan. And so he made different plans, but yet God determined his steps by using a storm and Jonah's disobedience to save these sailors. You see, God cared about the other nations, even in the Old Testament. And we forget that. We get hung up in the New Testament and in the Old Testament and we... We don't see God's love for others in it. But the story of Jonah is a perfect example of God's love for all mankind, for all time. And the plan and the purpose of using prophets before and allowing Israel to be open-handed and open-armed to other nations coming and living with them. All the way up to when he sent Christ. Proves his love and plan for redemption from all time, for all time. In verse 14, we see the sailors pray in humility, asking for mercy and acknowledging God's sovereignty. In verse 15, we see God answer when they toss Jonah by turning the storm off like a light switch. And Gary preached a week or a couple weeks ago about the storm in the boat with the disciples where Kurt took a nap up here on the stage during the whole sermon. Only I think he somehow stayed awake. I haven't figured that out yet. But he did. I'm proud of him for it. I don't know if I could. But when Jesus stood up, when the disciples were freaking out and said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. 
And then in verse 16, you see that they were overcome with fear of God. And that fear of God in the Old Testament is also the same word that we use for worship. It's a reverence and awe. Can you think of a time when you've experienced something like that? That God has done something and there's just a, this reverence and awe that washes over you. According to Psalms 111.10 and Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, which then leads to believing in God. Then after the storm was over, okay, catch that. After the storm was over, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We often hear of salvations and people making promises and vows. Watch out, splash zone here. Um, making promises and vows when they're in the middle of the crisis. Lord, if you'll just save me, then I will. Right? Anybody done one of those? I have. I'm glad I'm not alone. Lord, if you'll just do this, then I will do this. Well, he's already done the this, right? By sending Christ. That this, the this is done. Well, these sailors weren't in the middle of the crisis anymore. The sea was calm. It was over. They could have moved on. But it was at this point that they offered their vows and made sacrifices. We see a parallel of this in the New Testament from a young church that we studied a few weeks back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These sailors turned to God from their idols. Then God, in his divine and turbulent mercy, appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's in verse 17. God appointed, assigned, ordained a great fish to be there in this sea at this exact time. This wind-tossed ship for when Jonah was going to be thrown over. So that Jonah would be a fish snack, and so he wouldn't perish in disobedience. Now, let me repeat what I said at the very beginning of our series. We can get caught up in thinking that, how could this really happen? And start looking at, what fish could this really have been? And how did this go along? And I know there was a diver recently that got swallowed most, not really swallowed, right? It just ended up in the mouth of a great fish recently and came out and he was fine and he wasn't in there for three days for sure but as I stated at the beginning of the series in the book this is a miracle okay it doesn't say that a fish came along and gobbled him up not like my boys when they walk through the kitchen and foods are laying out it's like oh you know it wasn't like that all right God ordained, appointed this fish to be there at this time to eat Jonah. And we don't, as believers, have a hard time believing that Christ went to the cross, that he was killed, he was buried for three days, and he rose again. In fact, it can be proven as much as anything in history can be proven. 
But yet we get hung up on this and we shouldn't because Scripture says it happened. And if God can raise Christ from the dead, wipe the slate clean of all of our sin because of that, why can't he send a fish to eat a person and this person live in the belly for a couple of days? That's not a big deal. I'm sorry. That's just, it's just not. In fact, as one commentator put it, I love this. He says, if scripture said the Lord appointed a great shrimp to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the shrimp for three days and three nights, we should believe it. Just saying, if it's a guppy, if it was a gold, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. We should believe it because Scripture says so. And God can do that. Jonah did not deserve the mercy of being a snack for a fish. He deserved to die for his disobedience, yet God saved him. We deserve to die for our sin. And you might think that that's not merciful. That's not loving. How, how can that be a loving thing for a God to determine who's going to live and die? And I would offer this. If he does not also enact justice and judgment in his wrath on that which is wrong, how can he also be righteous and loving and merciful? You, you don't get to experience the love and the mercy and the righteousness without also there being consequence and punishment and judgment for the wrong. You've heard me said, and it's not my original illustration, but if, if somebody came in to your home and hurt or murdered your family, would you not cry out and scream for justice? I would. It was heinous, it was wrong, it was sin. We think that's wrong because God instilled this in us. He wired this into us because we were made in his image. And for us to say that it's not right for God to punish that which is wrong is us saying we know better than God. Putting ourselves in his place. Jonah thought he knew better than God by running to Tarshish and yet God sent a storm in his mercy reminding Jonah of his place in the belly of a fish and saving some sailors along the way. As John Piper says, we are utterly dependent on what we do not deserve. Take that with you this week. Write that down. I love how simple and concise that is. We are utterly dependent on that which we do not deserve. Jonah's life being spared was completely dependent on God's mercy. Those sailors' lives being spared, their lives coming to salvation was completely dependent upon that what they didn't deserve. See, our sin separates and severs our relationship with God. Jesus Christ stood in our place a perfect payment for that sin. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's from Colossians 1. For his purpose, for his glory, for our salvation, for our hope of an eternity, we are utterly dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ, that which we do not deserve. If you are coming to a place in your life for the first time of realizing You need that grace. You've been attempting to save yourself like rowing to the shore like the sailors. And it's futile. You're, you're turning to things, shadows that God has made and instead of to the creator who made them. Your response is this simple, to repent and believe in him. And you'll know that you love him, you'll know that you've accepted his grace if the fruit of your life shows that through your obedience in him and loving others and doing your best, not your perfect, not being perfect in it, but doing your best to follow him and he's there to help you. It's a lifestyle choice to change. The mercy of God will rarely, rarely look like what we want it to, but it will always be better than we can imagine. Let me read that again. The mercy of God will rarely look like what we want it to, but it will always be better than we can imagine. Oh, the turbulent mercy of God for the sailors to come to saving faith through a storm caused by the disobedience of Jonah for scheduling a dinner date for a great fish in Jonah. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6. And then for God proving his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Quickly, I'm going to share a warning, especially to those of us who have been in church for a while or uh, have known Christ for a while, or maybe not even. The same warning that Christ shared in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, says this, And some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. If you're waiting for a sign, if you're waiting for God to talk to you, if you just wish God would do this, then you would do that. Let me say it again. God has done the this through Jesus Christ. He has done it. Will you respond? Will you respond? He's not obligated to give you anything else. In his mercy, sometimes he does. As he did for the sailors, as he did for Jonah. So let us not be like Jonah, rejecting the sign that is right in front of us, the person and life of Jesus Christ, his word, the grace and love and provision that he gives us through being able to intimately communicate with him through prayer. In God's divine and turbulent mercy, he will sometimes still use the chaos of a storm or a sign so that we would turn our eyes to him and the cross and off of ourselves. Will we pay attention? Or be blinded by the self-righteous walls we've constructed in our hearts. Like Jonah. So together, let us reject the futility of idols when in a storm. Instead, embrace Christ, creator. Let us shift our focus to Christ by focusing on him. We don't forget, up. We don't forget to breathe. We don't forget to eat. We don't forget to take care of our house often. Pay the bills. There's gentle reminders for those things. But we will choose to fill up our schedule to such a point that we have the audacity to say, I don't have time for the one who made me. I don't have time for the one who then saved me from my own moronic choices. We must remember the mercy of God will rarely look like what we want it to. But I can promise you, I can promise you from the Ebenezer's the altars in my family's life, in my personal life, and I know there are many others in this room who can also say the same, that it will always, always be better than you expect it will be. Let me pray this scripture over you. Father, so then just as we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, that we may continue to live in him, that we be rooted and built up in him, that we be established in the faith, a faith in you, a Lord and Savior. Just as we have been taught, Lord, by your scripture, by your word, and that we be overflowing with gratitude. 
gratitude because of who you are and what you've done, not how we think life should be going. So Lord, as we conclude our time here together this morning, I ask that this would ring true with us this week. That we would be reminded over and over and over of your turbulent mercy, your unbelievable grace and love and that we are truly, utterly dependent on it. And there is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can say that would put us in a place of deserving it. But Lord, because of Jesus Christ, you have made it available to us because you are worthy. And Lord, that we would have the strength to bear the fruit of that grace and love and mercy in our lives by obeying you, loving others, by sharing you with others here and abroad. And Father, if there's somebody here this morning that has has yet to confess and yet to believe in you, God, that they would delay no longer. They would choose you today. They would choose to serve you from here on out. You promised you would be there for them. You promised to be their Savior if they would. That they would have the courage to share that with somebody. There is no greater There is no greater instigator of parties in heaven, Lord, as you tell us in your word, than than when somebody comes to choose you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for this local body, Lord. When we are out and about, when we are in the community, Lord, may you be seen through us. Your precious and holy name. Amen.